When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wondering what's next in your business or personal life? Welcome to Success to Significance, Life After Breaking Through Glass Ceilings, a podcast dedicated to helping you with all of life's challenges, discoveries, and opportunities. Whether you're seeking a new career, retirement, or simply wanting to make an impact in your community or the world, join Jen Duplessis and her guests as they explore how to start, what to do when you're in the thick of a change or growth, and how to leave a mark in this world after breaking through your next achievement. You are moments away from the aha you've been seeking. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode. I'm your host, Jen Duplessis. I am so excited to have you here today. And I want to say thank you so much for sharing part of your day with us and letting us come into your ears and letting us come into your workout or your drive home in traffic. We are so grateful for every opportunity. So I have a wonderful guest here today, and I had the wonderful privilege of being on his podcast as well, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes. But I would like to welcome JP McAvoy here today. So JP, welcome to our show. Jen, thanks so much for having me on and hello to all your listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Let me give you a little background on JP before we get started because today what we're going to be talking about is a topic that people don't like to have conversations about, but boy, when something goes wrong, they have to have a conversation about and that is business law and taxes and creating a business. So we're going to talk about all those things here in just a moment. So let me tell you about JP. He is the founder and managing partner of Conduct Law and Practices Corporate and commercial law. He's also a business consultant with CPLS PA, which you'll tell us what that means. Mm -hmm. He acts for clients buying, growing, and selling their businesses. And he represents a diverse range of corporations in Canada, the US, and Asia. He is the host of The Millionaire's Lawyer, which is a five-star podcast that where topics range from business, legal, and accounting perspectives. So we're going to talk today specifically about the business portions of it. So again, welcome, JP. Happy to have you here and um, love, love the diversity of what you do. Jen, thanks so much. Thanks again for having me on. Uh, yeah, as a lawyer, obviously, I hear a lot of issues from clients and then through my own consulting and through the podcast, people that are experiencing business issues, and we're here to help. We're here to help people structure things in a way that allows them to succeed in whatever they're doing. Awesome. Okay, so let's talk about some of that. And I, I know, you know, what I want to talk about specifically right now is startups, right? There's a lot of people in my age group, I'll just focus on my age group with that being, I just turned 56. So there's a lot of people in, and by the way, if you're listening to this a couple of years from now, just pretend like I'm still 56. That'll make me feel <laughs> But, you know, where we were great employees, maybe a 1099, maybe, you know, a 1099 realtor or a W-2 person, you know, who worked for a company. And now we're heading out into this world and we're making that shift in our lives, you know, or we're planning that exit strategy, you know, for down the road about being a business owner. And there's so many conflicting stories about 
whether you should be an LLC, whether you should be an S-Corp, should you be a single member or a multi-member, and what kind of insurance do you need? And oh my gosh, there's so much to do. So can you possibly break down some of this for us and say, look, you know, I'm going to move from the comfort of a job, no matter how I'm paid, into entrepreneurship. What are maybe three or five things that we just have to make sure we get done? Or maybe there's 10 of them you're going to tell us. That's a great question, Jen. And there's a hundred, but let's break it down to a few, right? Because okay, thank God. the key thing is to break it down into in a couple of key steps right. right from the beginning as well. Because you say people, there there is a mind shift that needs to occur as people go from you know employment or being a contractor for somebody to say, hey, look, I'm actually the business owner. I'm going to operate this business now. And the first thing as a lawyer, when I say 100 things, is we look to see how we're going to carry on business, the method for carrying on business, if you will. People don't realize when they switch from employer or contractor to business is if they do nothing, they're actually a sole proprietor. They're, they can operate in business without doing anything formally they're going to be attaching themselves personally to anything they do. And that's not the best way of doing things. A lawyer is going to tell you right off the bat, let's make sure we've structured ourselves in a way where it's not attaching to yourself personally, where you're setting up in a way that it's clear that it's a separate entity doing business. And that's why we generally incorporate and we advise incorporating. And as you just described, there's a whole bunch of different types of corporations we can bring into existence. LLC is very common. And a lot of people are speaking about those now. There's S-Corp, C-Corp, some of these different structures. All of them are making it clear that it's not the business owner. And that's a very, very important characterization. And that's why as a lawyer right off the bat, we're saying, let's do that, separate it. And then you talked about that sort of shift or talking about in the future. The nice thing about anything other than a sole proprietor is they have a quality called perpetual existence. You know, we make a joke about our 50s or age, whatever the case is, a company (laughs) will go on if it's structured properly. A sole proprietorship will not. The business dies with the owner. So regardless, we say to people, let's put a corporation into place. And then it's a bit tougher to say which specific, specifically which one. Uh, we need to look to specific attributes when we recommend which one we're going to use. But certainly an incorporation. In our first instance, the first thing we do is a corporation. Yeah. And I think that that's super important. So in your opinion, what would be the difference? And I'm, So I'm gonna, just going to dive in and ask the difference. Oh, let's do it. I know the difference between LLC, S Corp, and C Corp, but others may not. Okay. But in your opinion, what is the best form of doing that? Because obviously there are reporting requirements, filing requirements that are different. It costs more. There's more to do. So, you know, if it's just little old me and I decide, you know, I'm a great widget maker and now I'm going to have a widget making company. What is your opinion on the best course of action? And is it permanent or is it something where you grow into and switch up over time? Or is it set in stone when you go in? Wow. Great question there. So uh, you're asking a lawyer, so I'll just say all that. It all depends, right? A lawyer is going to qualify anything they say. But generally, as you say, little old me, a widget making company, we're usually okay with an LLC to begin with, maybe even a single member. If the idea is that it's, that's the way it's going to start and to keep it at a, to a minimum to begin with, you're likely okay with that. And as you just said, I mean, a great way of putting it, it can be changed. Obviously, we can convert one to the other. And it's not that dramatic a process, frankly, to change from one to the other. So you can't get it wrong. Key thing, as I say, is incorporate. And then when we need to shift, if we need to shift from one to the other, it's available for us to do that. Yeah, that's really cool. And so with the tax laws that have changed, you know, over the last couple of years and so, and, and gosh, there's so many, you know, and, and you know that I come from the mortgage industry, you know, 
there's just a lot of changes in there that have really affected people's buying, even though some of it's a little silly. I mean, it only affects a high percentage of people. I mean, a very low percentage, low percentage yes. of high earners <laughs> would be the way to say that. But it also, there's been some changes that really affect people who are W-2, but are on straight commission as well. So how are some of the changes affecting the tax implications and how is that changing the way that you are directing people regardless of where they might be in their corporate world now? Corporation, yeah. Yeah. And as you say, I mean, the tax changes, and we watch them regularly because what tax changes are doing is they're directing policy. They're trying to direct people to do things in certain ways, right? So they've looked at how people are doing work by contract and decided to uh, obviously try to shift the way that people are doing things away from that. A lot of, uh, even when we describe the LLC or some of the uh, ways that we structure things, a lot of it is driven by tax. Yeah. Uh, And if any individual is expecting to have money left at the end of the day, so by that, I mean, they're not all hand to mouth. They're not going to earn and spend. If they're going to leave money separate, we're starting to now direct people to be C-Corps and suggesting to them that they leave within the corporation. It's taxed more efficiently in the corporation than it is where when it's earned and spent right away. So we're starting to direct people to say, if you are going to and can leave money within your corporation, then let's do that in a C corporation. And in, in so doing, as I say, you're going to minimize your tax. Any tax deferred is going to be tax minimized. And we watch uh, this particular government, like not unlike others, is looking for a tax base, right? And where it can generate uh, tax earnings from. And one of the ways that they know they know that can do it is when a, uh, an individual taxpayer, whether it be a corporation or the individual, is spending all the money, uh, they know that they can tax it higher because it's consumption. Whereas if you leave it in the corporation itself, it's going to be taxed at a reduced rate. So that's where we're now we're encouraging people or the, the thinking has shifted to say, maybe, maybe we ought to be discussing a C corporation earlier in a business's existence. Traditionally, people have been sort of fearful and they think it's a lot more uh, than a, maybe a single member LLC or just an S corp because it's all flowing through to the individual. I can tell you it's not really that much dramatically more. And certainly if there's a situation where the business owner is not going to be taking all, not all hand to mouth, but now we're saying to people, let's consider the C corp for just that reason. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so that's a growth. That's definitely a growth strategy, you know, when you, because obviously, you know, I've been self-employed for a long time, but full-time for a short period of time. And, you know, it is income in, expenses out, income in, expenses out. There's not much more going on there. But, you know, I think in this year and following years, there's going to be residual. And I think that's when, you know, you want to make that shift. So that's really key and important, you know, for those that are listening, you know, to remember that is that when you have a little extra at the end of the month, that's, that's maybe the trigger. You that, know. That's the time. And, you know, frankly, a lot of uh, the work to the firm comes from accountants, you know, so it's a lot of yeah. times people have been operating a certain way. And as you say, you know, uh, revenue expenses, you know, they tend to equal each other early in a business's existence. Uh, accountants will start looking and say, hey, you're starting to pay some tax here. What can we do differently? And uh, again, as we said earlier, it's not that difficult to convert that, uh, that uh, LLC to a C Corp uh, at a later yeah. date. Again, I'm saying that generally, it is yep. uh, certainly jurisdiction specific, but generally speaking, it's not that difficult to convert it. And a lot of time, a lot of the work that I see is from somebody or an accountant saying, hey, it's time to now convert that to a C corporation. Certainly, if there's at the end of the day, funds that we can left within the corporation, it's wise to do so. And you do that with a C corp. Yeah, I love that. And I hope that my bookkeeper, because I don't have an accountant, I, I do have an accountant, but I hope my bookkeeper sees that on a regular basis and suggests it to me so that I can take it to my accountant. Well, hopefully that'll happen. Okay, so when we talk about, so that's one thing to do, right? It get incorporated. So we go back to this original question. So what are some other things as you're starting up that you need to be considering? You know, obviously bank accounts. I mean, there's 
I can't even remember everything that, that was in there. I don't even remember. I can't remember. So maybe you can help us. Yeah, let me take you through some of the things that yeah. we see. You know, some yeah. of the things that we commonly get asked because as you say, and that's why we encourage people to incorporate right away because you just said anybody doing business needs a bank account. If you start a business on your own and then you incorporate, well, you're back to the entity doing business. It needs to set up a bank account. So we're saying to people, set up that company first so you're not setting up a new bank account. You're yeah. also not setting up all of your accounts, all of your vendor accounts, frankly. If you have moved from a situation where you are a sole proprietor and established a company, well, you're actually required to set up an account under the name of the company. So we always say to people, do that right off the bat, right? Make sure you yeah. have all your vendor accounts and everything under the corporation. Another thing is obviously the agreements. So it is a separate entity. So for the entity itself, how and who is it doing business with? You want to make it clear that it's not you acting personally. It's a corporation doing and delivering the services. If that's the case, if that's the situation, make sure you've got agreements in place with anybody you're doing business with and anybody that's working for you as well if you're starting to employ people. Yeah, that's kind of interesting too because I'm thinking about my business, right? I mean, I have speaking contracts and they don't they have my name that I'm the speaker who's coming there, but it's all under my company name. It's all signed by my company. And of course, I'm the one who signs it. <laughs> but it's very, very clear that that's, that's happening. So even with your vendors, so tell me about how that would work. So the first thing I think about is, you know, vendor might be my bookkeeper, right? I mean, obviously that agreement is with my company, but what about some of the other more peripheral vendors that you're working with that provide promotional items or provide, you know, occasional services for you? What is yeah. What on there? Because there's a lot of online buying these days, you know, it's not. Yeah. And so you just hit it on the head consider who the contract's actually with. If it's a short term or something that you touch regularly, you'll probably be able to say, hey, do the next invoice to my company or do the, you know, let's do the next, the next rendering to the corporation. It's more the longer term ones that you're really, that you're really concerned with because you've obviously got a long term contract and you want to make sure the paperwork is straight. Things like leases as another example, if somebody's got oh. a lease, again, there could be a personal liability attracting to a lease. You want to make sure your lease is in your corporation. If it's longer term, it may be a five plus five year lease. So you're saying that I want to have my lease, my agreement in place and it's with the company. So for anything that's longer term, a bigger type commitment, you want to make sure that again, it's been addressed to the company. And overall, if it's a good agreement, you're perhaps adding value to their company. When we talk about a vendor or maybe even a supplier or a client, somebody that's got a long-term commitment to you or your company, you want to make sure they're tied up because if you've done that, you're in a spot where you're adding value to your business. So you've got a big contract to produce widgets, as we described before. Somebody signs on saying, I want a thousand widgets per year for the next five years. You sign that contract to your company, it's going to add value to your company. And anybody looking to purchase your company is going to say, hey, there's this great long-term commitment with somebody to sell. We know that we've got an ongoing obligation to sell. That's actually good for revenues. We're prepared to pay more for your company. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Rather than just, you know, having an invoice that says, give me a thousand widgets this year and then sure. next year renegotiate. Okay. So we move from invoice to contracts on the longer term. All right. What else? IP. Next spot you just turn to is an IP. And it's interesting as a business lawyer, right? As the millionaire's lawyer, we're helping people grow their businesses for millions. Uh, I don't start with IP. Uh, an IP lawyer would be different. An IP lawyer would be saying right off the bat, let's get things protected. I know in my experience and from working with uh, countless uh, entrepreneurs, they don't have the money up front to be investing right. on the IP side of things right. necessary at the beginning. Now, right. as the business lawyer, I'm making sure they understand there's a requirement to invest. And I'm saying, let's make sure you've kept yourself protected during the point of time you, you need to get you up to a spot where you actually can start investing. And by that, I mean, going to talk about our technology with anyone, we're being careful not to disclose too much. And we're making sure that anything we do disclose is done by way of confidentiality or, no, or NDA, non-disclosure agreement. Right. So that you are still protecting things. And then when you have enough of a following or enough of a, a reason to actually go and spend the money to actually get it protected, you've got the ability to do so. 
Right. Yeah. That's very interesting because I'm such a giver. <laughs> I've given so much stuff away, right? And I'm going, oh my God. So for those that are listening, IP is intellectual property. I'd want to make sure that everybody understands that too. So if you create a form, if, if it's your saying, if it's those things. So how does IP can differ from trademarks and registered trademarks? How does that differ or does it? Yeah, great question. And I love how you like sort of take my maybe too lawyerly answers sometimes and explain it in ways that, uh, that add to it. Because I throw out a term like IP as well, intellectual property. And that right. could actually include trademark as well. Traditionally refers to patent, copyright. Right. And well, it actually does, it can refer to, to trademark as well. And with each of those, going back to what I said before, as a business lawyer, the IP lawyers don't normally say this. A good one will, but as a business lawyer, we quite frequently say people have protection by virtue of first use. Now, it's not as great as registered protection, but people understand that if they develop something and they are the first person using it, they actually have some protection for it. The reason you go through a formal registration process is you want to solidify your claim to it and make it known to others that you're using it. So if anybody does infringe, you've got the ability to come back on them. To answer your question about trademark specifically, that's a good way to say, okay, it's IP, uh, separate from perhaps patent, where we're trading under a certain name. We want to make it clear that the name that we're trading under is protected and owned by us. And if anybody chooses to use it, you've got the ability to go back and tell them, stop using it or you'll take action. Right. That's not just a name of a company, you know, a trade name. Because I mean, initially when you say trade name, I think, okay, that's the name of a company, right? You know, Walmart, Kmart, Starbucks, whatever. But it's also, it's also a program that you put together, a product that you put together inside of that. So there's multiple layers of opportunities for you to trademark, correct? Absolutely. It's absolutely, not just yeah. that high part. Yeah. No, no, I appreciate you drilling down again like that because you're absolutely, I mean, it's, so when we say trade or how we're trading in the marketplace is what we're going to find. And a lot of people know, you know, these big trademarks such as, uh, you know, Walmart or Apple, as you say, but it's a lot more than that. It can be services that you're providing, right? And sometimes they're even just called service marks when you're doing that. It can be methods that you're employing as well. So it's different ways that you're doing business and the way that you're recognized in the marketplace for doing that. Because it doesn't even have to be a word, right? We're familiar with a lot of trademarks, like think of McDonald's, just the, the M, right? Or Nike, the swoosh. Those are marks under which they're trading. So you go to protect those. You know, or the just do it. Just do it. Exactly. So they've, they've yeah. actually trademarked those words, right? And the way that they look. So the words themselves, and then in the way that we're accustomed to seeing them, those are separate trademarks and things that they've trademarked in a number of ways to create these layers, as you described, to give them the protection they afford. They're spending a lot advertising it. So they want to make sure that they protect it in a way that if anybody infringes, they can go back and stop them from using it. Yeah. So JP, I mean, in the real world of us widget makers, right, that we just became, how important is it for us to do consider these trademarks and service marks, you know, in our businesses in today's world with internet and people can see, you know, we're doing live, we could be saying something, for example, and I know it's not trademarked, it's not a matter, but you know, a lot of people are talking about the roaring 20s right now because we're in the 20s. And I said, well, no, I actually think it's the soaring 20s, oh, right? Great. This is this is a decade to soar. And so I could be out there saying, okay, that's me. I said it because I said it on some live video and then someone takes it and runs with it. So is it really that important or it, you know, to what depth do we really have to be concerned? Is this a, I wake up in the middle of the night worried that someone's going to take soaring 20s? <laughs> well, your sleeping habits aside, let me say, you're talking to a lawyer. So a lawyer is going to tell you that it's vitally important to protect. Again, this is why it's such so important to know which lawyer you're working with because a lawyer that gets business as well is going to think a little bit like you saying, is it worth it? Again, a lawyer says yes, because if you haven't protected it, then you certainly don't have any chance. But you've got to also balance that against 
So what if? What if somebody does steal this? What am I going to do? It's not just protect on the one hand. The other hand, you've got to be willing to action it, right? So if you've yeah. got a protection, you've got to be willing to actually action as well. And so for some clients, they're saying, you know, someone's using soaring 20s. I'm never going to do anything about it. And as the lawyer is saying, well, perhaps we don't spend the money protecting it then. If you're, if you're going to be protected, but you're not going to enforce protection, you don't, you're not interested in spending the money to do that. Well, then perhaps you don't go and you forego the risk and you say, okay, it's not, I'm not going to allow it to keep me up at night because I know someone may take it. On the other hand, if someone's spending a lot, I mean, if someone's spending a lot on a brand and that's the whole essence of the company, going back to the value we talked before, uh, we we're at the spot where we're talking about IP in terms of that value. Right. If really it's, you know, a brand of jeans or, you know, a, a, a type of drink. And, you know, the only difference is the actual label on it. Well, then you're saying to the client, if that is what your value is, if that's what you're attributing, you're spending money marketing that name, well, then you got to protect it. And if somebody infringes, you've got to action it. So again, it's business. Ultimately, it comes down to business decisions about where it makes the most sense to spend money. Yeah, I love that example of the jeans because I can understand that. It's like it's like Kleenex, right? Hand me Kleenex, a Kleenex. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Kleenex is versus puffs versus whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, that's that's really good. I think, and and I think you know the end in mind. You know, with the end in mind, because if you know, yeah, I don't like that they used it, but it's not a big deal then that's really the answer to that, that question. Okay, so, so we're going to incorporate. That's going to be one thing that we're going to do. We're going to IP ourselves. And I think there was a third one you already told me and I've already forgotten. It's terrible. I should have taken notes. Um, what else could we be doing as we're just setting up? What are some of the things that we need to be thinking about? Great. The other one was agreements, right? So we're talking about the agreements, agreements. that we Thank put in place. Thank you so much yeah, for so those in place. Yep. Yep. Thank you. And so the next, one, the next one is to start discussing about what the growth looks like, what their growth prospects look like, and how that's going to be accounted for. And by growth, it's both, it's two things. It's within the ownership of the corporation itself. So a lot of times we need money, right? We need to uh, talk about financing things. Are we going to borrow it? Or are we going to actually use the equity of the corporation to get us to that next level? Mm -hmm. And if we need the equity for the corporation, we have to have it structured to allow for that. And then the second side of things as well for that growth is who are we going to get to help us? Employees, contractors, independent contractors? Are we going to bring people in to do the work for us? And if so, in both cases, are we going to use equity to help pay or are we going to use, we're going to borrow, we're going to have funds from the company allow us to pay. So that's sort of the next level is starting to talk about leveraging things. And uh, obviously there's a few strategies you can use to leverage things properly. Now, does that also include like joint ventures and affiliates and things like that as well? Yeah. Yes. So those would be all the leveraging ways, right? So mm-hmm. you're talking about bringing somebody in within the company. So internally, another shareholder, you're going to talk about employing somebody or having an independent contractor to come in, or you're going to do that with another organization. So a joint venture with another organization, all these ways are scaling, right? It's, this is, as we say, take us with that sort of the growth phase of things is to how are we going to do it with others? Because for the most part, we can be more when we're with others. So how do we want to bind together with others to bring whatever we're doing to market? Yeah, I think that's so important too. You know, and I and I learned that lesson and I'm still learning that lesson because when I first started, you know, it was just all me and it still is pretty much me. I've, I've got a few outsourcing people, but it's pretty much me. But, you know, I mean, as time goes on, I'm thinking, you know, should I have, did I go down the wrong road, right? Sometimes you go down that road really far only to find out it's not the right road, but that's a good lesson because now you emphatically know that that's not the right road, right? But I've been, I've always been the kind of person that, you know, for example, if I, let's just say bookkeeping, that's the one thing I don't do. But bookkeeping, I could do my own bookkeeping to learn the value of bookkeeping. 
so that when I want to engage with someone for bookkeeping, I'll have a better understanding as now a new entrepreneur over a, you know, salaried or contracted employee, right? As to how much that can be, you know, how much that's worth for me. And I think that there's value in that. Do you agree or? I'd agree to a point because it's certainly right. value in, in the learning side of things. Mm-hmm. However, I know you as a brilliant person, you're very good at what you do. And so I would suggest aside from learning, your time is probably not best spent bookkeeping. You know, you've no. got a skill set is would be different from that. Right. And I would challenge you to think you know, similarly in other areas. Yes. For example, you know, your online marketing, your well, your legal and uh, other team members that you work with. Think about where your best place because you got, you need to be in front of a microphone. You need to be on stage. You need to be in right. front of people because you that's your serial skill set. And yeah. anybody you can work with that can allow you to be doing more of that, I would suggest would be good people for you to talk to. Yeah. So that's a very good point. So it's about your highest and best use, right? The the hedgehog theory, right? Do what you do best, do what you love to do and what makes financial sense, you know, for your practice. So, you know, if if you don't love doing something, you're not that good at it, it probably doesn't make financial sense for you to be doing it. So find someone else to do it, right? Yeah. And that's what I had said, you know, is that I went down that path and I'm still learning it because I'm still, you know, making those decisions now. And this is the very critical point for me, you know, in my practice to be saying, okay, now I've done enough of those activities and it's time to move on. So do you have any other suggestions to finish to round that out or? Yes. The conveniently, actually, you said from the beginning, how many, and we're up to five, right? As the fifth, (laughs) again, we've taken it from startup to the spot where we're growing, uh, which is wonderful. The fifth is I always say to people, think about your exit. You kind of hinted it on that before, but think about your exit, right? What's the end goal? Because if you don't know what it is, well, there's no chance you're going to get there, right? You're just going to end up somewhere mm-hmm. else. So yeah, that fifth and that sort of key one is to say, as we're starting up a business as well, think about what an exit might look like, what things could be. There's a whole, it might be a whole range of things, but because we've got that perpetual existence now, we know that the company will go on. We just don't know what's going to happen when we exit it. So I say to people, think about what that looks like for them as well. It's very important to make sure they've done that. Yeah. Gosh, I love that point too, because, you know, so often in through those first several stages, right? Through the first four stages, it's all here and now and present and trying to make ends meet and make things happen, you know, and, and try to be successful. And we run across so many people in our lives that could be instrumental in that exit. And then when we get to the exit, we go, well, who is that one guy that I was talking to like 10 years ago who could, and if we think about that now, we can hold these people closer to us so that we have this great team that is ready for that exit. So it's not, you know, I've been trying to exit for 10 years, <laughs> right? I've heard people say. Yes, yes. Yeah, I hear that all the time. And uh, so it's a couple of things because you can actually make your business more valuable by making sure that a few things are into place. And also you can minimize your tax. So yeah. that's what happens is somebody, for 10 years and all of a sudden something happens where maybe it's something unsolicited or somebody gets sick, right? right? And all of a sudden they have to do something. Whereas if they've got it planned, as we sort of said at an earlier stage, they'll be much more successful in the end. Yeah, I love that. I'm so glad that you mentioned that to me. What are some, thank you for sharing those. I'm going to stop at five because there's a hundred. <laughs> I got a hundred, that's right. A hundred, we'll get you a hundred. <laughs> you can get them from JP. <laughs> I want to ask you, what is the biggest mistake people make in businesses? Because we know, you know, that the statistics for small business are horrible. 
I mean, they really are. We know when five will fail and then you think you've got it. And then at the fifth year, there's a whole bunch more who fail. So what's the biggest mistake that you see people making in their businesses that they can't get to that millionaire, that million dollar mark that you're teaching? And sharing. Yeah, that's a great question because you're right. I think they say eight out of 10 fail, right? Here's often is that 90% of those that fail haven't gotten proper advice. Mm. Right? So it's it, quite convenient for a lawyer to say this, but the stats really do truly indicate that people do not get advice. And it's interesting. And you know, the benefit of shows like this, where they're getting some advice now and they're realizing, first of all, the things that we're talking about are very doable. You don't need to be afraid of them. And that's right. one of the reasons why people don't get that initial advice is they're afraid. And they also think that it's too expensive. They think right. they don't have the money to do it. And I say to them, first of all, it's not that expensive. So it's not that scary. It's not that expensive. But also, if you're risking failure, is it not more expensive to actually fail than get some of that advice? Because some of these simple things we're talking about can be put into place rather, rather cost effectively and give you that much greater a chance for, for success. So certainly the biggest thing I say to people is get advice. And the ones that don't get advice are the ones that usually suffer and pay the price. Yeah, I love that. That's a whole rhyming saying there, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, we'll trademark that too. Yeah, you might have to trade that one. <laughs> trademark that as well. So what makes, I, I don't want to ask you what makes you so different because obviously I know what's making you different. You ha, It's very simple. You lay it out very nicely for everybody. But what got you into, I mean, one thing to be a, a lawyer, right? To be an attorney when you're younger, but what got you into the space that you're in of doing podcasting? Because that's pretty interesting for an attorney. Most attorneys, you know, are very attorney. I'll just stereotype yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it's true. And actually, yeah, so even, what happened with you? Yeah. Well, so for me, I mean, I, I think I see what the future is to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. And lawyers are dinosaurs in themselves, right? They're very slow moving. And it's interesting that even business lawyers, right? Yeah. They, a lot of them aren't business people. I was a partner in a big firm actually when I was younger and very early partner because I got the business side and that's what actually made me a partner. But by the same token, I realized that my colleagues and my fellow partners weren't business people. Whereas I am, and I can see how business is and what the future holds. So I realized it's important to be in this medium, in this space. And I would say the same thing about people when they're getting advice from their attorney or their lawyer. If they haven't run a business themselves, how good is the business advice that they're getting? If they don't understand some of the issues, uh, as I said before, an IP lawyer, they want to see a big retainer to protect IP property when they don't appreciate the fact that the owner of the IP property doesn't have the resources to fund it. Right. So right. as a business lawyer, I've seen a lot of these types of things and I'm a business person myself. So I understand where business needs to be. And I advise my clients sensitive to what the business realities for them might be as well. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's a very holistic approach is what you're saying, rather than just, you know, looking linear and, you know, getting in and doing the lawyer thing and getting out and having, you know, waiting for the next client to give you a call. I love that. And, you know, we all know that that's, you know, everything's moving a hundred miles an hour and a thousand miles an hour on the internet. And so, yeah, it's a self-preservation process. Right? That's for sure. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, that's pretty cool. So I want to ask you another question too, then. So thinking back on all your business, you know, your time that you've been in business, what's been your biggest breakthrough for you personally that you could share with people on this call that say, you know, expect these types of breakthroughs to happen? Yeah. So for me, the biggest breakthroughs have been coming actually through working with the clients who have really taught me a lot. And the biggest breakthrough for me, having done all the work on the academic side of things to become an attorney. I mean, there's a lot of school. I did, uh, I mean, I did an undergrad, I did a four-year undergrad, and then I did uh, three years of law school, so seven years of your article. So it's eight years of uh, formal education. And then you're licensed, but you really don't know anything. Right? <laughs> yeah. you should, I mean, you know how to interpret statutes and you certainly can read really well, but you don't really get how business works. And so yeah. the breakthrough for me came just out of law school, actually. 
I started working with some entrepreneurs. I mean, household names now. Some of my friends from school are some of the richest people in the world, right? They went and started some of these companies. And I remember thinking myself, feeling really good about myself. I just got out of law school and you can't do that and you can't do that and you can't do that. Well, it turns out you can, right? They've started companies like uh, Tesla and, and PayPal. And yeah. well, you look at these where they've shifted the way business is done. And lawyers, all the way through the process, even as we were building those companies, were getting in the way and telling us why we couldn't. Because that's legal training. Legal training tells you why you can't. Say, I realize entrepreneurs tell you how you can. And I like to fill the void or sort of be able to talk between the two sides to bring a project to fruition. You know, I can see how you can be very, very valuable to anybody who's starting their business because I think even though, you know, as an entrepreneur, I mean, you take more risk, obviously, and that's where you look for opportunities and ways, but there's still an underlying can't, so to speak, in what you used to do. And I, you know, the example is, you know, in mortgage lending, it's very, it's not litigious, but it's very compliance, you know, it's high right. in compliance. And so when someone says, well, you know, I can flip a house by using some secondary money and some private money from here and that, I go, whoa, whoa, hold on. No, you can't, right? Now, I know you can, but the example is, you know, that we think that you can't. So even if you come out of that environment and you are an entrepreneur and you're thinking, you know, the sky's the limit. I'm going to do all these wonderful things. You do have, you know, the, the ball and chain that's dragging you around saying, but, but there's something's not right there. I don't quite get it. And so I can see how powerful you can be in opening up those doors and cutting those chains and saying there are possibilities out there for you. Yes. I mean, you're hitting on the head, right? The lending aspect of things is, is very compliance focused. And you get a lot of people saying, you can't do this, you can't do this, because they're trying to check off all the boxes and trying to do it according to what, you know, as the lawyer would say, by statute, it says. Whereas the business owner, the entrepreneur is, is thinking or trying to even think outside of the box, right? The best way of doing things in a way that might turn a profit. It's the gap in between where there's not a lot of people that can operate. I know that you can. Some of our conversations, you've done that uh, through your own business as well. And I certainly can as well. You need to find people like that. Those are the really skilled and in-demand people to help the entrepreneur, the business person take it to the next level. That's a really important skill set to have. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think we have to recognize that as entrepreneurs that we're bringing that baggage and that, again, here is where we need advice. We need advisors to say, you know, help me with my blind spots. Help me with my thought process here because I know it might be short-sighted and I want to make sure that I'm not missing an opportunity. So I think I think that's absolutely wonderful what you do <laughs> what you do in that aspect as well. So what else do you want to talk about as one of the things that kind of one of the things that I want to talk about in the growth part of businesses is how do we get our businesses to a million dollars? I mean, what are some of the aspects that we need to have? And I can tell you that I know one of the things you're going to say is don't do it alone. You can't make a million dollars on your own. You're going to have to hire people. But what other things will get people to that million dollar mark in revenue for their company? Yeah. As you say, the big things, you, you can't do it alone. And then it would amplify that or actually add to it by saying, not only can you not do it alone, it's better off without you. Let me be specific on that, right? <laughs> yes. Because it's hard for business owners to hear, especially somebody when they say, hey, this is, my, this is my baby, right? right? Uh -huh. you know, this is something I, I started. Yeah. yeah. Businesses actually become more valuable, if you can imagine. They're not reliant on the business owner. If you can mm -hmm. imagine, it almost seems, well, it seems counterintuitive, but that's the reality of things. There's a real skill set to starting companies. I've worked with a lot of startup entrepreneurs if they want to get to the next level, sometimes they have to back themselves out of it because it's usually somebody with a different skill set that can take it to the next level. And one of the first things they do is they'll exit the founder, right? Now, the founder can still be involved in some way, but a lot yeah. of these companies I was talking about before that I've helped start, the founders will take a back seat. And if they're smart, they'll do it willingly, 
right? That's the way you get the real torque because that allows other people to come in maybe with some dollars or maybe with a different skill set to take it to the next level. And so the business owner becomes a millionaire when they sell their business. That's yeah. the key thing as I describe this. And I don't say it all through the podcast or right. you know, in the marketing materials, but the key to all this is structuring yourself for a sale because it's on the sale that you actually become that millionaire. Yeah. And I mean, it would be crazy to be, to leave a long-term job, you know, with 401k and benefits and all that stuff to go into entrepreneurship because, you know, you don't have all the benefits, right? Unless, and that's probably one of those 100 things, <laughs> right? It's safe harbor yes. and, and insurance <laughs> and all that, you know, but you lose some of those benefits and you work really, really hard. And then you decide one day that you're not a business anymore and it just poof, it's gone. And you know, all those clients, all those opportunities and those clients, I mean, it's almost, how dare you? How dare you build this big business, build the confidence of your clients, and then just send them out into the wind and say, well, go find another person like me. You know, yeah. it's, it's almost like that. You know, it reminds me, you and I were talking right before we went on, went live here is about Frank Shankwitz, you know, from Make-A-Wish Foundation. And one of the things that he did is 18 months after he founded make a wish. He stepped back and let other people run it. And he, he was still the CEO and all those things, but he stepped back and he let people run it. And look what it is today. Yes. You know? Well, you're hitting it on the head, right? Well, yeah. and it, Brian Smith, the founder of UGG did the same thing. And I, you know, it was funny because I thought, you know, he runs, not runs around, but he goes around and speaks, you know, and he and I are on the same stages and things. And he speaks about UGG and everything's UGG. Everything about him is, is UGG. Yet he only had that company for like three years that he was actually involved in it. And now he's a spokesperson. Yeah, we've just identified that. That's the real key thing to the millionaires, you know, to the millionaires lawyer saying, you're not going to be there indefinitely. My most successful clients have started a company for a few years, sold, started another one, a few years, sold, started another one. And they've created all of these organizations that still exist, perpetual existence, uh, because that's their skill is to create them and to sell them, become very wealthy in the process. And if it's done properly, they survive and they actually keep doing good for yeah. the people that are, that are being serviced by them. So really important to make sure that they understand that. Yeah, no, I think that's really cool. And I mean, you know who else? Jeff Hoffman. And I know I mentioned him before we came on too, but you know, Priceline. And now, you know, the kiosks at the airports that we like, those are his. Yeah. He left Priceline, not left, but you know, moved on from Priceline and said, hey, we need a kiosk in the airport. And now that's his venture. Actually, he's actually gone beyond that. Now he has a new venture. So <laughs> I'm sure we'll be hearing about it. But yeah, that's, a, that's an incredible way to, uh, you know, grow business. It, it's not just growing the business, it's growing your wealth, you know, through the process of it. So what's it like to be you every day? Wow, what a question. What's it like to be me? Great, obviously, happy. Uh, I, I think myself, you get to do it in your own vision, right? You get to create what you want. People listening, I mean, take those words to heart because I wake up thinking, what am I going to create here? How am I going to move it forward today? I'll be working with one or two clients likely every day. So I try to inject that into their business and make sure they understand they can create and take it where they want to go. And I do the exact same thing, which is why I get into the podcast. It's why I do all the other properties that I work on as well is because I'm creating a bunch of things simultaneously and I'm always excited to see where the fruits of my efforts are going to take things for that particular day. Yeah, I love that. And then for fun, you golf, right? I do. You know, it's so funny because I don't know many attorneys that golf. I don't know why. I know doctors. <laughs> golf, I don't know many attorneys because attorneys are always at their desk. They're always working yeah. these late hours. The attorneys I know, at least, they're, they're always doing that. I, I love that you're doing that. And then you like to travel a lot, too. What do you like to travel, aside from speaking? Because I know you're running around speaking as well. Yeah, I do some speaking. Uh, I love Europe. If I can get to Europe, in Portugal and Spain this summer. So you realize, again, this as this world gets smaller, and of course, you know, throughout North America, but a lot of that is for business. So yeah. if I can get away to, uh, to Europe... I like that aspect of things because uh, I love language and I love food. 
And I just love um, how you can be consumed in these other places. And every time you go, I don't know about you, but every time you travel, you just seem to take something else back from that place, right? Where you oh, eat yeah. something or you had something and you say, oh, and then it influences and you, enjoy, you get a chance to enjoy it again when you get back home. Yeah, I love that. Do you speak any other languages? I speak French. Okay, yeah. Well, you're from Canada. Yes, the candle. <laughs> I was just curious when you said you were in Spain because we were in Barcelona and I just absolutely, Barcelona. We yes. were in Barcelona and I absolutely loved Barcelona and mostly because it's architecture, you know, my degree. So for me, it was all about the architecture, but I, I love that you're traveling and doing that. Okay, so let me ask you this, this one last, well, there's a few more questions, but let me ask you this question. So what's happening in your practice right now and how can the listeners help you? Oh, well, thank you. What a wonderful question that is. So in my practice, in my legal practice, it's a, it's a business law firm. So I have a business legal practice. And so I'm helped whole, I guess, I don't know how many clients, but a whole group of clients, I'll say, in the evolution of their businesses. And that's from the time when they're starting them up. I service a lot of those corporations. So uh, one thing we didn't get, we didn't get too technical. One of the 100 things as well would have been to make sure they maintain their corporation. So mm -hmm. I maintain those corporations. And the course of maintaining those corporations, I always speak to that, what we identified today is that number five is, what does your exit look like, right? Yeah. So ongoing for me is discussing with a client what that might look like. And depending where they're at in, that, in their growth trajectory, if you call it that, there's likely an opportunity to reorganize things or have them structured for that. So I spend a lot of time doing that in my practice. And there's a couple of those clients that are actually at the sale phase as well. So in the sale phase, I, for the most part, the negotiation of the sales occurred. I'm actually consummating the transaction for a number of clients. So that's ongoing. And the traditional law is right. my, uh, my day job as an attorney. Of course, I've got a, a busy podcast, a book, and we're working on an online course that's going to summarize a lot of the things we're talking about here. So when we have that up, uh, I'll be sure to let you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. When you have that up, we'll just go back in and edit our notes and add it to it. So if they aren't here when you're listening, come back because they might be there later, right? Absolutely. I love that. Okay. So how can we help you? Well, thank you for having me on. These types of conversations, right? Every chance we get to, to connect you, and I really appreciate that. You were gracious and a, a wonderful guest on our podcast that did very well and is doing very well. So for those listening, I know that it's no surprise to you that Jen is uh, able to bring a lot of value to anybody that's listening. So for me and uh, for my audience, let's just figure out ways of combining them so we can bring the word and make sure that we have all the things that you and I know to be things that others can learn from as well to help them grow yeah. them in their own businesses. Yeah, I love that. So, you know, if you're listening in, this is about, and I've said it a thousand times, stop talking, take action, get results, right? Execution, laziness, you know, it needs to be done. So let's just get it done so that you can protect yourself and your business and your future. You know, it's all, all the pieces of that. So if someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to reach you, JP? Thanks. Probably the best spot is my webpage, which is jpmacavoy.com. I'll spell it out because it's McAvoy with an A. So jpmcavoy.com. You can get the book there. You can hear the Millionaire's Lawyer podcast there as well. And we'll have the online course up there when we get that uh, organized and ready to go. And if people are looking for traditional law as well, they can find me at Conduct Law. So email by me is jpmacavoy at conductlaw.com. Conduct, how you conduct your affairs. So C-O-N-D-U-C-T. LAW.com. Awesome. And we'll have the links here as well so people can get to that and remind everybody that we're also doing this via video. So it will also be up on YouTube. So if you want to watch us, you know, talking back and forth, that's fine. And me doing a lot of air quotes that nobody knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that would be great as well. And as we leave here today, is there a quote that you would like to share with everyone that's inspired you? Or is there a book that you would like to share that you are reading now or have read that has changed your life? So 
Yes. Benjamin Franklin, I remember reading his autobiography and being really struck by the amount of practical advice that he was giving in his day that applies to present day. Uh, and he's got a lot of famous quotes, I think, that have come from the book as well. One of them being, and I'll get it wrong now, but it's like, learn to plan or plan to fail. Something along the lines of that, right? Uh, the type of thing that we've heard in, in different phraseology through the years. Benjamin Franklin's autobiography is a real stunning read. And again, it's something that would be applicable to any business person here and today. So I suggest anybody else that is interested, feel free to pick up a copy of that as well. Yeah, that sounds really good. That reminds me of Les Brown. He says, if you're casual about your business, your business will become a casualty. Oh, that's great. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's about the same thing. And you can say, if you're casual about your relationship with your spouse, it's going to become a casualty, yeah. right? You can apply it to pretty much anything. Well, it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. I learned so much. I, you know, I always do. And this is why I do this in podcasting is because I like to learn from people. And I just want to say thank you so much for you know, sharing your expertise with us. I mean, it's worth, it's priceless on a podcast like this. You can't get this, you know, normally. So those that are listening, please take uh, JP up on his offer to, you know, help you out and connect with him and be looking again for his course. So if you don't see it here while you're listening, please come back and check it out and see if it's here, you know, later on. And JP, I just want to say thank you so much for gracing us with your presence today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Jen, thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for sharing with your listeners. And I look forward to the next time we get a chance to collaborate. Yeah, can't wait to. All right. Well, we'll catch you next time. And again, please give us a great five-star rating and be sure to review us so that we can continue to grow forward. And if ever you have anyone that you know that has had a breakthrough in their business or is in the mortgage or real estate space, please let us know. We'd love to have an opportunity to have them share their story as well. And we will catch you next time. You've been listening to Success to Significance with Jen Duplessis, the number one podcast for people wanting to give more value and make an impact. Loved this episode? Be sure to subscribe right now at www.jenduplessis.com S2S for more stories, strategies, and thoughts to help you gain significance and success. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to give us a rating and review so we can continue to bring you the best content possible. Join us next week for another breakthrough episode. Thank you for listening.